The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. This has been a pretty easy year to decipher, even maybe even predict. It's the crystal ball is needed, but we're okay. It's not. It's it's all about trade concerns right now. For a major portion of last year, it was about tax cut possibilities and healthcare reforms. And right now, the market seems to say, okay, we see the jobs, we see the autos, we see the homes, we see enough economic activity that we're not stressed on employment numbers. But the cuts and the, the changes into the environment are going to be tied towards tariffs right now. And how hell-bent are we on doing this? So I saw recently that some of the food companies are now starting to, you know, how much jam can Canada eat to the point that it affects Smuckers, a publicly traded company? Must be a lot of jam, right? So we're starting to look at tariffs. We're starting to think about, you know, tink, tink, tink. So by the way, it's about 3% of their operating income. So there's some real exposure there. A couple months ago, we were thinking like, okay, aluminum steel and aluminum Coke cans and aluminum in like Reynolds wrap. Who's got the exposure, right? So the market is opening on a weak note. Where do we end Right now, it really doesn't matter. The narrative is tariffs. There's no no specific headline pressure today, which is a little disappointing when you see a down day. But again, more on the tariffs kind of weighing on us and where will we go? Year's halfway over. Look at the calendar. Look at your little window in the corner down there. It has a seven in it now. So, 800-516-1220, take your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. The Treasury market seems to be okay, 2.83% on the 10-year Treasury. As it creeps above 3, people get a little more concerned, a little bit more worried, and a little more upset. A lot going on. The PMI readings out of China, Ugh. not not sexy, right? The readings, uh, the Shanghai Composite, uh, down two and a half percent. The Shanghai Composite, this is 
probably worth noting. So far, the tariffs really haven't upset our markets in the United States, the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the the Russell 2000. So far, the tariffs haven't upset our markets so much to the point that we've seen the markets dip, right? Within reason. There's some of it going on. Um, Maybe our markets would be higher is the idea, right? So couple other stories of note as far as the Dow in the second half of the year. Positive fundamentals, the jobs report, the wage increases in the United States, they're there. Better than recent years. But the low inflation, those positive fundamentals are you know, being kind of negated right now by the idea of worst case scenarios. And tariffs, actual tariffs in place don't amount to much in global trade yet. But like I said, on you know when you your Friday afternoon, you're having a little bit of a day drink and relaxed and chilling, and thinking about the great weekend ahead, and you see a Canadian get on television and say, you know, oh yeah, we will we will not accept that. We will. We will put a tariff on your jams. Take off, you hosers. Okay. So Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross has doubled down on the administration's trade efforts. If you fear a party that's one way or has swung one way or the other way on too hard of a level, Wilbur Ross is considered a Republican's Republican. So, as Commerce Secretary, he's okay with trade wars. Now, socially speaking and politically speaking and some of the other risks that are out there, there's a lot going on. There's a lot being left. There's a lot of damage on reputations, a lot of damage on your word. There's no bright line right now as far as policy change in the, you know, the stance that we're taking. What I would refer to as increasingly protectionist. So that creates uncertainty. And I think that's one of the reasons our markets aren't higher this year, because the fundamentals are pretty solid. Now, for the first half of the year, the big winner. Who do you think the big winner is? The NASDAQ and the S&P 500 rose. Well, the NASDAQ rose 8.8% during the first six months of the year. The S&P 500 up 1.7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.8% for the first six months of the year. And the Russell 2000 up 7%. Now, the NASDAQ, let's be fair, it's a market-weighted index. So it's got Facebook in it. It's got Microsoft. It's got Apple. So if those companies had a good first six months of the year, then the NASDAQ probably had a good six months of the first six months of the year, and I think that's true. The S&P 500, which is going to get you some less of the... It's going to throw in some of the bigger names out there that aren't tech, per se. Same kind of thing. It's a market-weighted index, so you can't put all the faith and credit in the world into it and say this is the end-all, be-all. I'm just talking to you right now. We're just talking. So... Um, but the small cap, Russell 2000, up 7%. So small caps that are kind of U.S.-centric did well. 
And then you get the NASDAQ big tech company names did really well. And then everyone else kind of, you know, so-so. Some sectors better than others, for sure. But Canada slapping charges on the U.S. beef while China and Mexico took aim at pork. You get the farmers and you, you get Trump's base, so to speak. So, uh, so that's out there. That's how we did it in the first half of the year. Tesla's moving higher today because they said Model 3 production targets were hit. Now, this is embarrassing. Take a look at what Tesla said a year, two years ago. They've missed their production goals by 50, 60, 70 percent. But if you take a look at, if you take a listen to what they said three to six months ago, yeah, they, they hit massively reduced targets and markets. Um, Tesla's produced 53,339 vehicles during the second quarter, up 55% from the prior period. They put up tents. Ford was making fun of Tesla because they set up factories in tents. Which, again, Ford, it's interesting because, you know, uh, you're seeing Tesla stock do well today. And Ford can get out there and say, we can manufacture 10 times as many cars as they can in 10 minutes. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo, right? The problem is, is that Tesla has the market cap where they can start thinking about buying a Ford and just shutting them down if they want to. Where Ford doesn't have that luxury. So the markets value Tesla over Ford, thinking Elon Musk is going to get right. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show. Making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Risk versus reward is probably one of the things some people think they understand, but there's a different type of risk. And if you don't start with that basic premise, there's like, you're missing a lot. Currency risk, headline risk, earnings risk, inflation risk, all of them can affect your investment or your assets, right? It's all well and good if your real estate goes up. But if food goes up and everything else goes up, is that asset, that real estate going to be, is that liability of a monthly mortgage payment going to become an asset? Are you going to sell it? Did you sell it? Did you not sell it? Are you waiting to sell it? Do you lock in the game? So here's one chance of explaining risk versus reward. Risk is the uncertainty. It's the chance of loss. Reward is in a gain on investment. You kind of have to calculate it. 
how much risk do you want to take, downside protection, versus how much reward do you want to go for, upside gain. So the more risk you want to take, the more aggressive you want to be with stocks versus bonds. The more conservative, the more you would want to be bonds versus stocks. So you kind of get to fill out a, uh, a survey, which I, I, I'm not a big survey guy. I'm not saying I'm, I'm doubting them, but I, I find some flaws in. If the market were to go down 10%, would that cause you to really want your money back? Or to demand your money back? Or are you cool with it? Those surveys just don't quite hit it all for me. They're there for a good reason. So that when there's a lawsuit because you yell at someone because the market went down, they go, but you told me you could take, you know, a down market, and now you're saying you can't. And then, and again, they, they said, no, 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 no. I fill out the forms that said, I can't take a down market, and you had me in the, in the market. Then, then uh, we just hung ourselves, right? So risk, obviously, venture capital, and usually speaking, stock options hit the height of the pyramid of risk. It's at the tippy top. Then, once you get under that venture capital area, and the venture capital could be one of your friends saying, you know, look, I know a guy who is looking for $100,000 so he could start up his own Popeye's fried chicken. It could be venture capital, like you give your money to a, a, a VC who goes out and hangs out at Sand Hill and tries to have boy meet girl in the world of investments, venture capital. So below that level of risk, though, is, is probably real estate stocks, mutual funds, index funds, bonds. Keep in mind, real estate has a added component of risk when you don't buy it on the stock market. You can buy real estate on the stock market, and if you want 100 shares of office properties, you can get 100 shares of office properties. And you're done. And that's where the stock market kind of beats the mortgage market or the real estate market that's tied towards investments. You don't have that 30-year mortgage or that 15-year mortgage or that 7-year balloon. And some people would say, exactly, you're using other people's money. Leverage on the way up is wonderful. Leverage on the way down is crushing. And then below... So far, we've kind of hit two levels of, of risk and reward. Venture capital, very, very high on the pyramid of risk. Beneath that, you hit real estate, stocks, mutual funds, index funds, mutual bo- mini bonds, corporate bonds. And beneath that level, you hit treasury bonds. The U.S. Treasury, where you're like, 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 those E-series bonds that Grandma had or something like that, war bonds, and you're like, yeah, exactly. Not that many people are buying treasury bonds until they're in their 50s or 60s. And again, that's kind of an overstatement by me. And I'm just saying it's nice for the U.S. government to say, okay, if you give us money, we'll give you 2% back over the next 10 years or 2.8% back over the next 10 years. Each year for the next 10 years, you get 2.8% interest. That's not bad, because you know the U.S. government has kind of had this history of 
paying you back. Now, if you're buying treasury bonds, your your risks start not to necessarily become, do you get your principal back, but does your rate of interest that you get, the yield, is that keeping up with inflation? So even though the principal is at very low risk with the treasury bond, the rate of inflation could be the risk factor for you. You want your money to keep up with inflation, right? So now, beneath the treasury bonds, the world of the risk profile ladder, or in this case, pyramid, the base of risk, the safest areas to be are probably cash. Within reason, some Bitcoin enthusiasts will say, cash is very cheap. Not looking for that. Um, A CD, certificate of deposit, which... I know when I said CD, you're thinking compact disc, compact disc. Should I get a compact disc? Your bank savings account or your credit union saving account, both insured up to hundred thousand plus dollars, and not a big history of bank accounts, savings, or checkings or credit union accounts. Not a big history of collapse in the United States where your money went bye bye and you never saw it again. So that's that's that. That's your risk to reward pro, uh, pyramid. So again, the more re- risky you want, the more reward you want. You kind of have to couple these things. I don't mind down markets. I've forever seen myself as twenty years old, and it's not realistic, right? But from an investor standpoint, that's great because I've been willing to expose myself to more long-term risk and long-term rewards where the risk on like stocks is probably a little bit higher in like a one-year period or a two-year period, but over a four, five, six, seven, eight, ten-year period, the reward's there, and you lower your risk profile. And again, I do see myself as younger than I actually really am, and that's, that's a good thing in the investment world. But to be realistic, as I'm getting older, I'm also saying, where's the X at? What's my dollar amount? So risk versus reward. you got to see where you are, where you want to get to. Uh, you do not want to be thinking about, you know, best investment ideas when you're 65, 70. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing more. Comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
trying to make the complicated simple when it comes to financial ideas for you. Long-term care insurance. Why do you care? Well, I can tell you that my mom's been on long-term care for the last few years. It's work that I don't have to do or feel obligated to do as her son. Is that horrible of me to say? Probably is. Some cultures want mom and dad as they age to be in the home. As we all, you know, from the cradle to the grave, become the world needing people, we leave the world needing people. And that's what long-term care does. It helps people who have needs. For instance, do you want extended care? Do you want long-term care? Do you want in-home care? Home modifications as part of your insurance? Assisted living, which is kind of where my mother is at this point in time. We did the in-home care, step one. The home modifications were thought of as my mother aged, but she was very stubborn. My father passed away over 20 years ago. My mother was stubborn to change things. I think it's fair to say she loved one man her whole life. But when we did the in-home care and her mind started to slip, she started accusing the caregiver of stealing stuff from her. Very common, right? You see it in movies. That's what I mean by very common. If you've seen it in a movie, it's, it's become mainstream. But there's four or five ways of looking at long-term care. At some point in time, you're going to need help. Getting dressed. Eating. Bathing. Tracking your medicines. So, that's the pretty side of, of long-term care. And long-term care insurance. The dressing, eating, and bathing. These are activities of daily living, ADLs. You may start on the extreme side need, instead of dressing, people helping you with your continence. Adult diapers. Ugh. Right? Or toileting. My mother, as she aged, she had a couple strokes. And, uh, you know, it, it was humbling as a kid, or, you know, me as an adult, because as a kid, she took care of me. So watching a parent age is you want to do everything you can for them. And then it got to the point where I was like, I can't do any more. She wouldn't want me to do more, but I can help fund it, and, you know, I can help support other family members who are helping out. So there's a lot going on with long term care. And long-term care insurance can help families because it reduces the financial burden. My mom is now in assisted living, kind of nursing home. Assisted living is, is nice. It's got some dignity before you go to the nursing home and before you go to hospice. So long-term care insurance covers in-home care. That's great. Have a nurse come to the house and make sure your meds look good or have someone come in and Clean up a little bit. Home modifications, so that when you do have a stroke and you slip and you break your hip or you're just too weak to get back up, home modifications are smart. The old I've fallen and I can't get up, it happens. 
my mom uh, fell one day out of her bed, which do you remember in the day? I don't know. I don't understand. It seems like the bed's a little too high. And when you get older, you're balancing the greatest. And if you miss medication or you over-medicate yourself, you're going to fall and you're going to break the stuff. So my mom was in a house that, you know, my brother David would call me and say, she's going to eventually die in this house. So me and my brother David and my sister Susan came up with a way to you know, get her into assisted living. After that, it's going to be uglier. And assisted living's $70,000, dollars $80,000 a year. Sometimes it jumps up a little bit more as they have to do more nursing and, and doctor visits. But it's not pretty. So, in my opinion. But why do we care about long-term care insurance? Because it helps families. Like I said, reduce the financial burden of $70,000, $80,000 a year. You can choose where you want to have your care, which gives you a lot of independence. If it's in-home care, home modifications, assistant living... And hopefully, you know, there's enough money and there's enough insurance out there to help fill gaps in long-term care. But long-term care is real. And one of the things I throw out there is I tend to think that long-term care is more of a woman's issue. And again, maybe that's the sexist Rob Black sh- glaringly showing his flaws. That, you know, I've seen more men men die earlier and men die, tend to marry younger, Right. So my mom was doing a lot of the long-term care for my dad. My dad's long been warm food and not able to do long-term care for my mom, right? Now, he did work in the military, so he did give her, leave her some benefits tied towards long-term care. You know, in the military, you may have to fight for your country, and you may have to die, and you may have to do things like that. But they do tend to take pretty good care of their, their people with, with benefits, one area that a lot of people don't like talking about, and I can make it as simple as possible, is estate planning. And estate planning is one of those topics that if you have a house in the state of California, you should probably get a trust. So as to avoid probate for your heirs. Maybe you want to skip a trust if you don't have heirs, or you don't care about your heirs. But there's five simple things with estate planning. You need a trust. Or a will. That's two of the five. You need to understand the concept of probate, power of attorney, and the advanced health care directive. Picasso and Prince both died without a will. Who is the better genius between the two? Picasso or Prince? They both went by one name. You have to be considered somewhat of a master to be one-named, right? So, a trust, probate, power of attorney, a will, advanced health care directive, all help provide for your family. If I die, I want my ashes spread here. If I'm hospitalized, I want to stay in a coma forever and ever. Or if I'm in a coma, you can pull life support after a week or a month or a year. You want to get a trust, a will, advanced health care directives, power of attorney, to help plan for disabilities. They're going to happen. The odds of you being disabled and missing time from work 
are way higher than the odds of you dying before 60. You can lower your expenses when you die by having a trust or a well where things can get challenged and things do get challenged and slow down in courts to make sure that you know your house wasn't tied towards something terrible or that you have your house that you didn't take it away from someone else. The title's clean. And also estate planning can keep a business running smoothly. If you know anyone who has a small business, setting up the right amount of life insurance and things along those lines, putting it in your trust, putting it in the well, so like one business partner can actually just die and his wife doesn't have to like sue the other partner for what was was value should have been sold on an open market in a good market, a good economy, and a bad economy. Those are things that you don't want, in my opinion. You want things a little bit more clear. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and more. Trying to explain some of the ideas, investments, and cash, and insurance. So that you have a better idea of which you know mistakes you're making. Like, if I were to put life insurance, this is an area where it upsets me. Because I, I tend to find that you as an individual trust other people. And sometimes to a fault. Um, you know, you went to college, you did your stuff. You have a job, you got married, you have a baby. And now you have to understand about life insurance in case you die and your spouse needs that income or your baby needs that money that you were going to earn over the next 20 to 30 years so that that baby can go to college. And it stinks because you would think that's it. It's not. It's more complicated from there. And what do I mean by that is something along the lines of, there's whole life insurance. There's variable life insurance. There's term life insurance. And the truth is, the one that you need is term. And you invest the rest. It's what I've done. Now, do you think I'm going to buy whole life or term life? Which one am I going to buy? The better product, right? I bought term life. It's low commissions. to no commissions. And it covers the years where people need my income. Short-term, the spouse. Long-term, the kids. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. A lot of Americans think carrying credit card balances improves your credit scores, and it doesn't. You may want to rethink that. One in five credit card users or 43 million Americans carry a balance or pay the minimum 
thus always owing money to your credit card company. They think it improves your credit score. You think it improves your credit score. Carrying a balance is not one of the factors that goes into creating a FICO score. Payment history, amounts owed, length of credit history, credit mix, new credit are some of the facets. And the only facets that determine your credit score. Payment history, amount owed, length of credit history, credit mix, new credit. So a lot of Americans kind of flub that one. That's okay. I get it. You get it. We all get it. Um, let's talk Bitcoin for a second. Bitcoin was one of the stories that as 2017 ended, it was hot and sexy. And as 2018 played out its first half, Bitcoin wasn't, wasn't very exciting. So as an investor or as a listener, as someone who wants to maybe think about it or next time around get in before it pops, right? You got to say, you would have been pretty happy with the last three months of 2017, right? Yeah, I would have made a lot of money. How would you have felt if you had bought the first day of the year and then lost a lot of money or a lot of value? Bitcoin's interesting. It's cryptocurrency. It's offered peer-to-peer. It's fast. It's anonymous. They're very low fees over time. Some people feel like, depending on which company you use to set up your account and trade your account, it can be pretty pricey. No bank account required. I don't know how I feel about that. As a guy who's not afraid of banks, like I, it's been a while since I've had that banks are bad kind of thought. Bitcoin is decentralized, and it's got global reach. So it's fast, it's anonymous, no bank account required, decentralized, and global reach. The downsides, in my opinion, it's not insured. It's not widely accepted in any way, shape, or form, but people think, give it time. The price is too damn volatile for me. I like consistency. Payments are irreversible. So there's some, it can get lost, fear to it. Bitcoin is not stored in a wallet, as in the leather wallet in your back pocket. It's stored in a Bitcoin wallet online. So that's the basics of Bitcoin, right? Its features are that it's fast and it's anonymous. Low fees. It could be a currency for a country where you have governments manipulating their currency or hurting their citizens. It's decentralized. It's got a global reach, but it's not insured. It's not widely accepted. So... If you go that direction, you're, you're basically adding extra risk because it's not insured. It's not widely accepted. It's volatile. And it's irreversible. So if you lose it, you lose it. Which I'm sure there's going to be movies about someone losing a Bitcoin fortune, right? I'm not yet on to Bitcoin in large part because of uh, the f- not the fear. I want to be careful how I say this. The, uh, the a lot of... Let's just put it this way. You can't buy a Slurpee with it, but you can find a drug deal. 
So I'm not naive. A robo-advisor. What is a robo-advisor? This is something I would have to explain to my father if he were alive, right? Oh, my stockbroker's coming to have lunch with me. Oh, and he always buys. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? Back in the, that day and age. So the robo-advisor versus a financial advisor. A robo-advisor, in theory, is going to be unbiased. Whereas a financial advisor is going to have the ability to give you customizable product. A robo-advisor will have low fees all the time. A financial advisor will be able to give you emotional support. Pick up the phone and say, hey, I see that you've been spending a lot on alcohol lately. Hey, I see that you've been spending a lot on vacations. Hey, I see that your spouse just bought a fur coat. Is everything okay in the marriage? Emotional support. There's a big transition, like uh, Trump gets into office. What's it going to do to the economy? Robo-advisor can't help you on that one. But a financial advisor can. Robo-advisor is going to give you a lot of tax efficiencies. That's what they're set up for. A financial advisor is going to give you a lot more control. A robo-advisor is going to give you automation. Which, let's put it this way, I'm thrilled that when I was 18 years old, I had a mutual fund, and I robo-advised it, kind of. I said, you know, take the money from my checking account. I sent them a copy of my check, signed, and wouldn't the void over it. So, that's the nice thing about the robo-advisor. The, the automation gets you doing it. A financial advisor is not going to just do just investing. They're going to give you, like, a big picture on some of the other issues of your life. I think a robo-advisor is perfect for smaller portfolios. I think as you get older and your financial needs get more complex, I think you should really look at a financial advisor. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app.